Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Listnick Behind the Curtain, my chance to step away from the worlds of politics and law that I cover daily on television to enter the world of my passion, which is entertainment and theater. And what a day to do it, because joining me now is an actor who is being honored in Chicago, but there's a lot more to tell you you about about her. And you also know her because she's been here so much. Say hi to Stephanie J. Block. Stephanie, I get to see you again. It's been since Cher that I've gotten to hug you and see you. It's so good to see your face. And like I said before, boy, has the world changed since our last hug, my friend. Yeah, that was pre, actually the share show was, I mean, certainly it was pre-pandemic, but I'm trying to think, did, did you get hit by the pandemic by the time you were? No, we had closed since then. So we were in Chicago okay. 2018. We closed in 2019, um, won the Tony. And then literally about six, seven months later, the whole world looked different. Oh yeah. yeah. And one of just many Tonys in your world. So let's talk a little bit about you and your background. I mean, again, people in theater know exactly who I'm talking, talking about and to and what it is we do, but we've got people who listen, who just sort of love theater and, and may say, I know that name, but let fill me in. So we're going to film it. First of all, you're being honored. uh, And it's this evening. So let's be candid with the audience uh, that we're talking just before your ceremony. So I I get to get you with, yeah, with the Sarah Siddons Society uh, is honoring you uh, for your accomplishments in theater. Did, by the way, did you know who, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like I had to do a little homework before about this, but Sarah Siddons, like, did you, you kind of familiar with? I had to do a little homework too. Now I will be honest because one of my besties, Jesse Mueller is from here oh, yeah. and I am such an avid fan of Tracy Letts. So I had heard the phrase, uh, it's very hard to say, but Sarah Siddons Society. <laughs> right. um, so I knew they existed. Now, did I know who Sarah Siddons was? No. And did I know that this was an annual sort of recognition for excellence in theater? No. So I had to do a little homework too. And with that homework, actually, I became more humble and also more proud that I'm here today to accept that award. Yeah. She lived like in the 1700s, died, I think, exactly. was 1831, was known for Lady Macbeth. But here's what I didn't know, yeah. that the Sarah Siddons Society, say that 10 times, you're right. Right. Uh, that this actually was kind of a, a tribute, if you will, to what was a fictional society in the movie All About Eve. I didn't know that either. Well, I got to tell you, their stock just went up again because I love that movie. <laughs> well, work all this into your speech tonight. I know you're going to focus in on me and you, but don't. But as opposed to that, try to work that in. And by the way, since you mentioned Jesse Mueller, did you know that just up the street a little bit, and you probably won't have time, but did you know that the, the musical Beautiful is playing? I did know that, yeah. And do you know who's playing Carol's husband? I don't know that. Andrew Mueller. Oh, my gosh. That family affair, because she originated on Broadway. I believe her sister. Either Abby her, played it here in Chicago. Here in Chicago. Now her brother. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Is that wild? Yeah, that's wild. And they'd be thrilled we're talking about it. But let's talk about you. OK, so <laughs> so anyway, tonight, Sarah Sid and Sidey. And by the way, I'm assuming you know what they're going to be doing at this event. I do. I do. I know okay. that there will be some uh, local and outstanding performers that will be sung, you know, singing some of my quote-unquote greatest hits throughout my musical theater career. I know that there might be a, a video m- montage you know, with some pals saying, hey, congrats. Um, that's about as far as I know, though. And Did I know, you know I'm going to... 
meet a lot of wonderful people oh, from yeah. my past, you know, through my Chicago career. So it'll be beautiful. I believe one of the performers is somebody you performed with. I think you were in, the, in Wicked at the same time. Talk to me. So let me try it. Heidi I Kettenring. don't know. Did you perform with Heidi Kettenring? No, I don't believe our paths did cross. No. Okay. So she was Nessa Rose. Okay. On the tour. So I, I thought maybe I did. I didn't do my homework no. to find out what you were You're in the, the same I, I was back in the stone, the, the golden era or the stone ages, however you want to define it. So we were here in early 2005, like, you know, oh. the first go. Yeah. 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 So long ago. And of so course, part of, my, part of my um, shoe collection, I do have shoes from, from Glinda and from... Um, uh, from Alphaba. Uh, so anyway, I, I've got all these like collection things. You have to come over and see it, but all right. Oh, wow. <laughs> so first of all, your Tony awards, um, again, people know you for wicked. You were here for that. And that, is that when you fell in love with Chicago with that show or prior to that? Yeah, no, that was the first time that I spent any like substantial amount of time. I think we sat here for well over two months. So, you know, you start to learn the rhythm of the city and where your favorite eateries are. And, you know, the vocal doctor, the ear, nose and throat doctor, all of the necessities as a performer. (laughs) Dr. Bombay. Uh, (laughs) And and so but also you also did a show years ago. And this one I am. I do know you did with a friend of mine, but the mystery of Edwin Drood, which um uh, you won a Tony, right? For that as uh, well. Nominated. 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 Yeah. Which you performed with my high school classmate, Greg Edelman. Oh, Greg, he's a dream. Yeah, he played uh, the Reverend in the Mystery of Edwin Drood, yeah. and he's such a prolific actor. I mean, he's been in this community for so long. Comes to to work, you know, ready to play. He's got great ideas. And yeah, he's just, he's one of those stalwarts that you want to share a rehearsal room with. Exactly. And he was amazing. He played Tony in West Side Story uh, in our high school. Um, yeah. I should have gotten that role, but, I, you know, hey, he he stuck with it. So Holding grudges, Paul? Are you holding some <laughs> grudges? No, because we also did Play It Again, Sam, and I played Woody Allen to his Humphrey Bogart. So All right, that's fair. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, tell him I said hi. And to his ex, Carolee Carmella, when you when you go back. Okay. Uh, so all of that. But I also think you, I, I do want to mention the role that I, I think you made iconic. I think it's it's so attached to you. Tell me if I'm wrong, but in falsettos. I mean, that, that, that uh, was you. Oh, thanks. I mean, you know, it had so many different incarnations before this delicious cast of Andrew Reynolds and Brandon Uranowitz, Christian Borle, on and on, Betsy Wolf and Tracy Toms and sweet and uh, Anthony Rosenthal. So, you know, it was such a hit in the 90s. It was so impactful. In was it 1991? That's going to be my own ignorance when it first played. And um, so doing this revival was like a gift. And it really was lightning in the bottle. From the moment that we were cast, all the way through rehearsals, all the way through every performance, there was something new to be found. Our hearts were split open and then put back together every single night. Uh, When we did use the stage door, you know, pre-COVID, and there would be throngs of people, young people, that it was no longer, the story was no longer about, um, well, that's not true. I'm not going to say it was only about the pandemic of the AIDS crisis and losing all of these gorgeous men and women who were inflicted with that illness. But young people were coming up and saying, I recognize myself in a broken family and how we are walking forward, trying to stay connected to those we love, even though our families may look fractured from the outside we're trying to keep 
mom, dad, brother, sister, mom, mom, dad, dad, together and have this community around us. So the language behind the piece, the humanity of the piece, it just had like a tilted focus than I think what Bill Finn and James Lapine originally wrote when the AIDS, pardon me, the AIDS crisis was happening in the late 80s and early 90s, still with us today, of course. But the lens changed with our audience that was in the seats night after night in 2016. And it really became about this idea of healing family units so that their walk through life could be lifting each other up and and having that sort of familial and communal love. Yeah, without question. And, you know, as you talk about that, one of the things that strikes me, I think of the differences that Broadway, I mean, if you think about it, a Broadway performance can only hit hundreds of people a night, right? I mean, right, right. television or, you know, something like that. You're hitting hundreds of people a night. But when I think of uh, a form of art medium that has the impact on changing culture and impacting culture, uh, I- I'm not sure of any. I mean, for example, recently I mentioned Wicked because it's your part of your background, but I'm sure yeah. you know Alexandra Billings, who played Madame Moore. Yes, Wicked, yes. Probably the first transgender uh, actor. She's to- incredible. Exactly. And Broadway did that. I mean, Broadway Mm. makes the chain. Hamilton, you know, do Mm. we need to talk about the casting of Hamilton? What is your sense about the importance of theater and its impact in society? Because you are getting the Sarah Siddons Society Award tonight, and that recognizes your impact. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, the phrase I hope has not become cliche because I think it is monstrously important and representation matters, right? We all want to revert back to when we were sitting in the audience and my daughter, even at eight, you know, she'll watch a show and goes, oh, that's me. Oh no, I want to be that. That's me. So in order to have these stories being told authentically, whether that's based on a religion or culture or color of skin, to know that these stories are being told with a diverse voice, with um, a platform that allows all of the beauty of humanity that circles the, the globe to have them represented on stage is what is important right now, is what should be one of the major deciding factors of why we are telling this story. Or let's revisit an old property and let's make sure now that it um, includes and does no harm and can represent walks of life and their very individual stories in this art form. And so, uh, you know, we were kind of shook to our core during a pandemic and we all were stopped. And so there was a cleansing that happened, allowing our palates to kind of be uh, open again and our spirits to be open again to say, hey, while we're stopped, while this is all kind of a a moment in time where we can revisit, uh, rehash, have uncomfortable conversations and hopefully begin anew with a different outlook. I think it was beautiful. I mean, we call it in our family, COVID, the great parentheses. So in that great parentheses, if we can start again with a a, a brand new way of telling these stories that is safe and more inclusive and more diverse, monstrously important. Yeah, so agree. And again, the impact is so big. So when I think of, look, you're being, again, I keep talking, you're being honored here. It's why we're talking. So I am, that's why I'm here. We're going to talk about your Christmas album, but not to fear, um, which by the way, I've listened to, I will tell you that I've not only heard it a million times, but it's what I now put on my Alexa when I go to sleep. (laughs) 
Yippee! Uh, yeah, I just oh, do I so put I, you I, to I sleep, about- or does it just get your body rhythm to a nice, even calm? No, I just don't because I hear the whole album. If I want to go to sleep, I put on Johnny Mathis. So, oh, Johnny Mathis! <laughs> I don't. Have you read the liner notes of my album? Because he's I- mentioned in there. He's one of my top. It's what, well, it's why he comes up, right? And, yeah. I, and I'm actually going there in my next question. Um, okay. Not about the album, but anyway. So here's the thing. One of the reasons you're being honored tonight is because not just of your roles in theater. I mean, that, that's certainly a, a lot of it, but, but it's because of the impact and the role model you are for, mm. for people in theater, for young people. You talk about those who mm. meet you at the stage door and all that. So looking back at your career and, and I saw you in, in Edwin Drood. I saw that back with Greg, but. People forget Cheetah Rivera was, I mean, yeah. the, the folks that you've worked with and, and the Porchlight Music Theater honored Cheetah a couple of years ago. I got to do the interview of her on stage, um, which I do each year and maybe one year it will be you. You just got to get older. Um, <laughs> but out of curiosity, who do you look at in your career, even when you first got involved in theater and said that that's who made the difference for me? Mm-hmm. Well, if I can harken back really quickly, uh, you were talking about falsettos and theater only hitting a couple of hundreds of people per night. The vehicle of PBS and having those live theatrical productions put on film so that we, and I'm including myself because I was 3,000 miles away in Southern California, and although that 12-year-old girl had all these hopes and dreams of getting to New York, there were times where it just felt, no matter how talented you were, no matter how many opportunities might be there for you, getting there seemed like an impossibility, or maybe at best an improbability, right? So whenever these theatrical events like Into the Woods or um, Sunday in the Park with George, if you could see Bernadette Peters on that stage with Mandy Patinkin, or you could see, you know, Patti Lapone voice a concert at Carnegie Hall. These to me were icons that not were only, were not only talented, but they had a singular voice, something that I had not seen being young and doing community theater and then regional theater where the opportunities for us were to um, revisit and have the revivals of musicals, right? So to actually birth something new, I didn't know what that felt like or looked like other than witnessing these masterpieces on Masterpiece Theater or PBS. And that for me touched me in such a way that I I can't truly articulate. But yes, those were the icons for me. Anytime I could see also Carol Burnett, but who, who in musical theater in this day and age can't say that Carol Burnett touched them in some remarkable way because much like Sarah Siddons, who I did homework on, <laughs> she was known for being a comedian, but her underbelly was always tragedy. It was always like this deep hurt. So when I see Carol, who can do, I call her Carol, like we're best friends, Ms. Barnett, who could do the comedy, but could also bring the heart ache and heartbreak who could sing who could host a variety show this to me was the absolute um ideal for what i would have dreamed my life's career to look like my body of work to look like now it didn't get close to that and i'd like to pride myself on even though i tried to emulate you know the voice of barbara streisand the comic timing of Carol burnett then throughout those 20, 30 years of being in this industry, it all then starts to sharpen and take focus into, yes, they have a massive impact on how I perform. But then all of a sudden, it became very clear. The lens became very clear as to 
how my storytelling is authentically me. And like I'm breaking down that song itself. Yes, I'm very proud and saying those choices that neuroses that comedy meets tragedy yeah. in one, you know, four minute number. Um, I take great pride in seeing all of the icons that came before me, this incredible generational patchwork of men and women who I pull from. But now looking back in my early 50s to say, they're all a part of me, but somehow I landed into this authentically me, and I couldn't be more proud. And, and that number is iconic. Uh, in, I mean, it's, just, it's a classic that comes from it. Were there any roles? It, it's funny. You mentioned Streisand. I'm in the process of listening to her audio book now. And ah. um, I caught she actually mispronounces a word. And I don't know whether I should, like, get to her and tell her. Ah. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know how welcomed it would be, but maybe if it wouldn't you went be. through uh, But I know her something. sister, so I'm kind of thinking. But here's the thing. She refers to an ear thing she had when she was little, but it was kind of psychological. But she calls it tinnitus. And it's it tinnitus. is. No, it's not. Because I have, she's right. I'm wrong. You're wrong. I have tinnitus as well. I've seen oh. multiple doctors, and every time I say I have tinnitus, I've been corrected every single time that it is tinnitus. I'm so glad to hear that. I actually went to listen to some videos to see what they said, and these yeah. doctors actually said tinnitus. I went, aha, but I'm going with you. Maybe yeah. it's a colloquialism. Maybe depending on where you are and what doctor you go to, the emphasis is on the different syllable. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, thank you for correcting me. I, you've just saved me tremendous embarrassment when I called and I, I would have been told, uh, no, I think you've got it wrong, Paul. Yeah, so, oh my gosh. Thank you for that. Um, are there, but anyway, so are there any roles like, and I'm not taking you back to the 1800s, but roles mm. like Streisand in, in early 60s, are there role, are there performances, productions you wish you would have seen? Of course, we get her in the movie, but that you think would have been life changing for you. I saw chorus line when you know a million years ago whatever well so that would have been one of my top ones i yeah. would have wanted to be in the audience for chorus line i would have wanted to be in the audience for funny girl i would have wanted to be audience um for the original cast of fiddler on the roof um i was not in the audience for and wish i had been for the original company of ragtime that was before my time um yeah, no, there are plenty, plenty, because you and I know, Paul, and I hope our listeners feel the same way. And viewers. That, oh, and viewers, yes. yes. That sitting in an audience and sharing a collective space, a collective experience, where all of our heartbeats start to beat at the same rate, where that moment that you just witnessed in that brick and mortar building will never, ever happen again in the same way. There's nothing like it. So yes, we can talk about the PBS moments or the bootlegs on YouTube. And, and that's great to kind of satiate those that are unable to get to Broadway. But I will say this, y'all, go to your local theaters, your community, your regional theaters here in Chicago, a massive amount of theater. Uh, and if you get to New York, I think you will understand what we're saying is that sitting there in that audience, you might forget what it was, but when you return, then you remember and you go, how did I live without it? for that long, you know, and we're recognizing that again, with the sort of the regrowth and people becoming um, impassioned again, with gathering and listening to stories being told in real time, in real life, in the same space. Yeah. It, there's nothing like it. Yeah, they're about to do a concert version of Ragtime. Uh, Highland Park players are in, in April, and they've called it, I, I'm going to 
be offered something to do. And in Ragtime is one of my favorite shows too. Oh, and so I've offered them a, a signed copy of the old Dr. Rose book Ragtime that they can put on display. As during their present production of Kinky Boots, I gave them a, a signed boot by the entire uh, cast building ported all of them at first and i saw jerry mitchell last week and had it with me and he said no i, I know they put those up for broadway cares auctions i haven't signed them i went how about this one he went I'll how sign. about this one <gasps> so you're willing to signed. part with your shoe collection is what you're saying no no it's right back it's here but he signed it and i kept it <laughs> but can i ask you can i ask you yeah. uh, i maybe it's an unfair question there's sometimes there is a number that gets performed and the audience goes nuts. And so for I'm going to come to you second. First, Dream Girls. I'm telling you I'm not going. Oh, oh I needed one. to be in the audience for that. I needed to be in the audience. Oh, for that. I saw Jennifer Holiday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you is Alphaba and Defying Gravity. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Okay. You know that when the lights come down, it's the end of act one, you hit those notes in, in defying gravity and yeah. boom, those applause are, you are, you know, the audience wants to give you a crazy standing ovation as they did Jennifer Holiday yeah. in dream girls. Yeah. As an actor, do you sort of look and go, keep the lights on just <laughs> 30 seconds longer? No. And the, the, because at that point, the ego is so secondary to the exhaustion. Let's just be honest. That is a mammoth act one. It's, you know, there are, I'd like to say many 11 o'clock numbers within Wicked, right? Yeah. Right off the bat, The Wizard and I could absolutely, it's an I hope song, I want song, but it's an 11 o'clock number essentially with the range that it has and the story that it tells. So by then you really are just grateful that you made it grateful that the audience got it and was so moved by it um i will say this that you feel the energy it's uh, even playing share and having share stand beside me and feel that audience like reverberate and and just launch all this energy at us you mean the the real share by the way the real share yeah (laughs) sherilyn um that was like as something I had never felt, but I could compare it to that energy being thrust at you at the end of Defying Gravity, certainly in those early days where people did not know what the number was. They didn't know the construct of it. They didn't know what it looked like or how it was going to end, how it was going to sound. So in those early days when we were doing it, whether that was San Francisco pre-Broadway or in the first national tour, bringing it to all these different cities and states, when when we caught them in that awe and wonder for seeing it for the first time, holy smokes, I would be bowled over. The, the curtain's still coming down. And you could feel, like legitimately feel the energy, love, awe, wonder, tears, all of it coming at you. It was overwhelming. The I was at the night before it opened on Broadway. So original okay. cast, I did. Yeah. And Greg, the you know, who wrote Wicked, is sitting behind yeah. me. Yep. And so we Greg had chatted whatever. After Defying Gravity and the curtain came down, I turned to him and I went, holy crap. <laughs> it's Because just- you're right. Much like Dreamgirls, there are very few mu- musicals that end act one at such a pitch, right? And that pitch continues with the with the audiences at the concession stand in the line for the bathroom and so kind of wrangling them back to start act two there's still this this energy so we would welcome you know the curtain would go up for act two and thank goodness would be happening and it was still this incredible you didn't need to ramp up to get them going for act two they were still in that place yeah right now broadway cares by the way is auctioning off one of glinda's wands oh they are Uh, 
I'm in the bidding. We're going to, it's going to go nutsy and all that kind of stuff. But if you have one around the house, can you just send it to me so I don't have to deal with this auction? I don't have the wand, but secretly I do have some invaluable pieces that I don't know if I will separate myself from, but at some point, you know, who knows what what I do have. This is really weird. I have Jessica Vosk's alphabet makeup. Oh, interesting. The I have a whole green, makeup kit. The little green pancake no, and the I Japanese mean the whole paintbrush. thing. Yes. The, the whole, whole thing. She gave it up for Broadway Cares auctions. I won it. She sent a note with it. And it's oh, the wow. whole, I mean, I, I get, had to get a makeup holding case. I don't wear it, but I just keep all, because well, I also have Lucille Ball's makeup. So it's a thing. Honey, you've got a whole bunch of DNA at your house. You know that. You come see like it. I, I, Abraham Lincoln's <laughs> hair too. There's stuff here for you to see. Uh, oh my gosh! Well, yeah. now with the mu- you know the uh, museum of Broadway, th- this is stuff that I feel like I could separate for a little bit, have it on display, and uh, and yeah. then bring it back to well. And house. one day I'll probably leave this because I and I also have Lin Lin Manuel Miranda's original boots from Hamilton, and and he signed them, and he looked and goes, oh, I remember these because we finally learned we had to put a zipper in those. We oh, couldn't for get the quick these. changes exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, couldn't get them right. off. I want to shift and talk about your Christmas album because, I mean, we just need five hours to just talk. But let's talk. Well, I do. You probably are ready to, to leave. No, no. I have plenty of <laughs> stories to share for sure. Okay. Let's talk about the Christmas album. It's your okay. first. I mean, what it's like, yeah. what did it take this long? I don't know. I'm going to say time and money. Isn't that the excuse for everything? Yeah. I've been wanting to put together a Christmas album for decades, let's be honest. Um, it's pretty uh, it's pretty much out there that i love christmas beyond uh i'm a bit of an addict when it comes to christmas have been ever since my late teenage years i would collect like spode china at 15 years old who does that you know this girl uh so and then two years ago i put out a single of oh holy night thinking that throughout the year i would complete the album mm-hmm. but unbeknownst you know life happens and all of a sudden we're heading back to Broadway with Into the Woods. And I mean, you know, things pop up and you can't complain, but I do look back and go, wow, this has been decades in the making. And then when I paired up with Club 44, we made it happen. Most of the recording, I'm going to say all of the recording happened while I was on tour. So it, I was doing almost triple duty there for a little bit. So you bit. kept finding studios? Or- oh, n- we stopped in Nashville. So that's where we laid down most of the uh, the instrumental tracks. I met with the musicians. We came up with ideas and concepts. And then luckily was able to work with them in studio to say, no, let's switch it to this. Um, it feels more like this. I'm not a technical person when it comes to musical terms. So all the musicians would be saying, aha, and the arpeggio and the, 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 and I'd say like, no, 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 like warm caramel. No, no, like a heavy blanket. <laughs> you know, these are my terms. And then when we got to Los Angeles is when uh, those tracks were in the can and I could listen to them, tweak a little bit and lay down my vocals supported by almost a, a fully fleshed out orchestra. So one of the things that I love that you did, because when I first went to listen to the album, I wasn't sure. No, that's, that's a lie. I, I looked on Amazon to see what you had recorded. Yeah. Um, and what, what I was really happy to see, you know, like Cher, your good friend Cher, uh, is also just issued a Christmas album. I know. And most of her songs, they're kind of new. I mean, there's not going to be a lot of audience familiarity with them. That's, you can argue whether that's good or bad. What Cher I love can about do that. you, Cher gets, she can do anything <laughs> she wants. I love the fact that you, you've got some new stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But for those people who need, who want to hear Christmas mm-hmm. classics, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Oh Holy Night, that one you record, all the, you give them that. And that's what I love. I was happy to listen to some of the new stuff, but I'm like, yes, you're doing some classics at Christmas time. I'm sorry. I'm old fashioned. I want to hear that stuff. Well, I, I was giving out 
what I wanted to get. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to satisfy um, the listeners and my fans, but I also wanted to satisfy myself. And so when it comes, I'm with you. When it comes to the holidays, there's something beautifully familiar about it. The traditions are kind of encased and memorialized in these moments with all the sensory. So you know what that moment smells like. You know what your Christmas tree feels like. You know what sounds are surrounding you while you're creating these memories and living your traditions. And that's what I wanted this album to be is kind of like the underscoring of your family traditions and warmth and gatherings. And so when putting it together, there was probably a song list of like 30 songs and we had mm. to keep pairing them away. Some of the songs that went to the wayside were, you know, I just went online and said, how many solo artists have actually recorded this song? So for me, a Christmas song, you know, um, a lot of people know it as chestnuts roasting on the open fire, but it's called right. Christmas song. Right. That's one of my all time favorites, but it's been recorded at nauseum. So I thought, what can I actually add that would be different or, you know, add to the canon to make it my own singular sound. And I thought, nope, if it's between that and have yourself a Merry Little Christmas, I'm going to have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Maybe lesser known, unless you're an MGM freak like me, um, especially the opening, you know, Christmas future yep, right, is far yep. away. That's not done all the time. So I thought if I could bring that to the album, introduce that to some of the younger generations of my fans and those that love Christmas music, then that in and of itself is a little bit of a, a chestnut, you know? Yeah. And, and, and Mel Torme is gone, so he's not going to be mad or anything like that. He's not. He, he, he and his estate are doing just fine. God bless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of saying you wanted to make this family and whatever, you really did do that because if I use the name Sebastian and Vivian, does that strike you at all as a personal tie to this? Uh, well, you know, I'm vaguely <laughs> familiar with them. Um, I knew. So Vivi, my daughter, who is now eight years old. She's uh, a little drummer girl on this album. Is And those were the, the clear concepts for me was that acoustic and wildly growing to a, an anthemic pitch. For oh holy night that felt great to me i we crafted that together and i loved it once we put that away the other two sort of um ideas that i had that were so crystallized was little drummer girl and i wanted my baby's voice to start the song i wanted a female drummer to just be kick you know ASS on on the track and i wanted that story to be told from the point of view of of a little girl. Yeah. And then the marriage of uh, count your blessings and favorite things. Those to me lyrically have always been like long lost siblings. They just make sense. You know, when you're having trouble sleeping, think about all your blessings. When you're scared, think about your favorite things similarly. And so musically, when they started to ebb and flow together so beautifully, I knew that we had something special that would really, um, satisfy a lot of musical theater and christmas and wait lovers. till she's like 20 or 25 and she listens back to this oh i, I just think it, it's such a and here is the thing this kid takes such ownership of this album like she calls it our album what do they think about our song How, you know it's her investment is very real paul yeah. and you could see it when she was in the recording studio i saw it weeks before when she was writing down all of her lyrics over and over because she didn't want to forget so yeah whether that's 5 15 20 years from now it's a love letter i think Amazing. that the whole family put together and did your husband sebastian um say look she's on it so i want to be on it or did he come first <laughs> 
No, that song, believe it or not, we were discussing, Seb and I were discussing, and we thought that we would do um, a duet on an older property, something that was already out there and we could put our little spin on it, you know, like a Stephen Edie type feel. And then when this song came uh, to my attention, because a lot of different songs on demos were being thrown at me, but this song was written um, by, uh, sorry, uh, Joel Lindsay, no, Wayne Hahn and um, David Sipple, yes, as you I, know, in, I, in yes. the musical theater world. And it was meant to be done as a solo song. And when I was listening to it, I thought, gosh, no, Seb's voice would be so beautiful on this. And then if we could have some banter in the beginning, none of which was scripted, we were just in the studio together. And I started talking, you know, as the instrumental music played before the lyric came in. And it seemed so very much us when we're decorating the tree. And so then he came into the booth and just randomly started answering and and calling back to the things that I had pre-recorded and said in that moment. And when it came out, I thought, oh, wow, this is very authentic. This is very us. If people know my relationship with my husband, um, this really does fulfill in in three and a half minutes who we are during the Christmas holidays. And so I love it. I love how it turned out. It, it, it It's just magnificent. And I think if Barbara Streisand hears this album, she will. She's going to love it, too, because... This is she. She would. She. She's recorded some of these things, and you're like, of course, of course. Again, in my liner notes, it was Karen Carpenter's. Um, I'm going to have to read to make sure. Yeah, but their album was the Christmas Portrait, right? The Carpenter's Christmas Portrait. Johnny Mathis, Merry Christmas LP, and then Barbara Streisand's A Christmas Album. These were the three albums that are indelible to me and really define me growing up and every Christmas season, these three LPs would just play over and over and the crackle of it all, you know, on the record player, it's, it's still so present in my Well, And for the day. next one, let's, let's recall Hanukkah. Hanukkah. We'll record that together. So I can be on one you of and I, a little duet situation would love that. <laughs> uh, everybody can get Merry Christmas, darling by Stephanie J block on amazon.com and wherever or do any places sell CDs anymore? Well, wherever you they can do. Get- Barnes and Noble, my oh, website, right. stephaniejblock.com. That's also, a good place I believe, to get it. Yep, that would be great. That would be and great. And congratulations to you on the Sarah Siddons Award. So happy for you. And we're so proud to have you here. And I can't wait till I get to see you again in person and give you a big hug. I'm beyond grateful for your time and support. Thank you. Thank you.